This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, and this is Campaign Catch-Up, bringing you top news and analysis on the federal election every weekday until we head to the polls. It's Tuesday, the 26th of April. Today, Guardian Australia's foreign affairs and defence correspondent Daniel Hurst is joining me to discuss how the threat of China is being weaponised in this election. But first, here's what happened today. Labor's shadow foreign affairs spokeswoman Penny Wong was in Darwin, while opposition leader Anthony Albanese was in isolation with COVID-19. Wong promised a range of measures aimed at strengthening Australia's relationships with Pacific Island nations. They included increasing foreign aid, expanding ABC's regional broadcasting and improving Pacific labour arrangements. China has more money than Australia does to put into development assistance or other forms of infrastructure grants and the like. Uh, So the whole package, and you'll see when we announce it, is designed to look at leveraging Australia's strengths our proximity, our historical ties, our cultural ties, our people-to-people ties, our economic ties. Wong was asked about Labor's refusal to sign the UN pledge against new coal and how this squares with these plans, given that the Pacific Islands Forum has described climate change as the region's greatest existential threat. Should we be stopping the approval of new coal and gas projects in Australia? No, what we should be doing is what we should be doing is what Labor is doing, which is sending out a clear policy, a clear framework to reduce emissions and a realistic pathway to get to net zero by 2050. Well, hang on, I haven't finished my answer, if I may. Uh, And get to net zero by 2050. What we should also be doing is being respectful. I don't think it's respectful to joke about water lapping at the door. Like I, I, I wonder if we have ever got over that. To be honest, under this government. Prime Minister Scott Morrison was in Townsville in Queensland, pledging $70 million for a hydrogen hub there. He tamped down remarks made by the LNP's Queensland candidate for the seat of Flynn, Colin Boyce, who said that Australia had some wriggle room on its promise to reach net zero emissions by 2050. Our commitment to net zero by 2050 is a commitment of the Australian government that I made in Glasgow. It is the government's absolute policy. What he was referring to is our pathway to it. Morrison wouldn't say what Australia's next move would be if China crossed its red line of building a naval base on Solomon Islands, saying it would be irresponsible to do so publicly. But he rubbished Labor's plan for the Pacific, and he said that the fact Australian federal police were called in to help quell Solomon Islands' protests last year demonstrated that Australia was still its first partner of choice. What they're effectively saying is they're going to keep doing what we've been doing. There's one difference, though. I sent in the AFP, the Labor Party wants to send in the ABC. And Morrison was also asked about his diplomatic relationship with France's newly re-elected President Emmanuel Macron, which was hampered when Australia abandoned its $90 billion submarine deal with the country. One President Macron, when was the oh, last time you spoke to him? How would you go about repairing well, that last time I saw him uh, was when we were at the G20. Um, it hasn't been the focus of our engagement uh, on issues we've been dealing with. We've been focused on things a lot closer to home, particularly in the Pacific, for obvious reasons. Um, since I saw him there, there has been further government-to-government contact between officials. Coming up... Our foreign affairs and defence correspondent Daniel Hurst is here to discuss how China is featuring in this election. Hey, Dan. Hi, Jane. So 
Jan, we've heard an awful lot about foreign policy in this election so far. Labor's today pledged a range of measures aimed at increasing our influence in the Pacific. Now that there are these fears of a potential naval base on Solomon Islands, how effective could these be in practice? Well, it can't hurt, basically. I mean, there's some clever elements of Labor's policy announcement today, but I don't think anyone's suggesting that this will unwind the signing of the security deal between China and Solomon Islands. But seven points, you know, politicians like to to, to increase the number of points, you know, say a seven-point plan or a five-point plan. Um, this one, it's not just about foreign aid. Uh, there, is a, there is a substantial commitment about half a billion dollars over four years in extra um, aid to Pacific countries and Timor-Leste. But, you know, that's not, it's it's not as simple as just throwing more money at the region. And frankly, that's insulting as well. And there's, so there's some clever elements in the package. One is about boosting regional broadcasting, the sort of soft power levers that we don't hear so much from the government about. There's also some reforms to seasonal worker programs. We've heard a lot of problems with exploitation of workers under that. So importantly, Labor has said that they would be increasing protections for workers under that as well. So that's really important in sort of assuring the Pacific that we don't just see workers as expendable there. And the other really, really important point of Labor's plan is on taking the Pacific's concerns about climate change seriously, because repeatedly the region has said that's their top security concern. It's an existential threat and they haven't seen Australia taking their points seriously. So those are really important elements. Of course, it won't unwind the deal, um, but it can't hurt. Mm -hmm. And and what's your assessment of the coalition's approach on this issue? We have have Defence Minister Peter Peter Dutton saying on Anzac Day that we need to prepare for war, while the Prime Minister is saying we're doing as much as we can to keep this good relationship with Pacific leaders, including Manasseh Sogavare from Solomon Islands. What do you make of that? Well, the timing of Dutton's comments wasn't good, but on one hand, it's sort of a statement of the obvious that militaries prepare for war. That's what they constantly plan for. That's what they do. Uh, And that's why we're ramping up defence spending. So, I mean, really, though, one of the problems with the coalition's approach is that it's widely seen as talking tough on national security, but there are gaps in sort of the capability in the immediate future. And the other thing is the coalition does point to its own aid funding to Solomon Islands, its own sort of provision of assistance after the unrest in November that Australia was called on first under the bilateral security treaty that we have with Solomon Islands. But obviously something's gone wrong that Solomon Islands has found the need to look further afield. Um, it's hard to say the coalition's approach has had the right effect in terms of Australia's interests to the current point. Hmm. I mean, we know that there are legitimate concerns about China, both Australia's relationship with China and also its growing influence as a superpower in the Asia-Pacific. But it this whole discussion does come with some racial undertones, which can be pretty uncomfortable to listen to, personally speaking. I mean, Ray Hadley was on 2GB today uh, saying that Labor leader Richard Miles seems to think the best way of dealing with China is to get down to the famous Sydney Yum Chai restaurant, Golden Century, when it reopens and have Yum Chai with President Xi Jinping. I mean... uh, uh, what do you what do you make of that kind of rhetoric? Well, that's really juvenile stuff, but also it does. We know that the way these debates are conducted does feed into experiences of racism and hostility towards the Chinese Australian community and and others. So the Lowy Institute has done some really re- interesting research about this. Obviously, there's not a homogenous view amongst Chinese Australians, including about the policy approaches. There's there's sort of varying levels of concern about foreign interference, including by 
China. So there's not some single view, but we do know that when there's talk about, for example, quote-unquote Chinese aggression, when there's talk about questioning divided loyalties, dual loyalties of a community that's more than 1.2 million Australians, that that does feed into a toxic environment of suspicion and even racist attacks. Mm, absolutely. And you're completely right. There's the We're not a monolithic group, Chinese-Australian voters. Uh, we're from all over the place, China, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Indonesia, we, you know, so many more places and we all have completely different, there's probably as many views on China in the Chinese-Australian community as there are people. So, Dan, how do you think Chinese-Australian voters are served by the politicisation of Australian foreign policy on China? Not well, I would say. Uh, I mean, the debate tends to be quite binary, quite simplistic. Obviously, China is still Australia's number one trading partner, and the way it's presented is often quite simple, like whether we choose between China as being an economic partner or a security threat when there are elements of both, I suppose. So I don't think... um, I suspect that um, some Chinese Australians would be would be horrified by the way this debate is playing out. Others might support the tough the tough line, um, but I guess we won't know until the twenty first of May exactly how that plays out electorally. Yeah, I mean, our colleague Sarah Martin made the point on this show the other day that she wasn't sure if foreign policy debates really can sway the election one way or the other in the end, but it does feel like it's not. It does, but it does seem like it's not going away anytime soon. So what can we take about the impact that this issue is having on the broader campaign? Mm. Well, Sarah's right. It's not normally seen as a big vote influencing issue. Really, the Solomon Islands deal has um, elevated national security. Uh, Election campaigns can be unpredictable. Labor had really been wanting to talk about things like health and education. Um, You would have seen in the first week a lot of focus on Medicare and health, implying that the coalition was threatening those sectors. Uh, The coalition had always wanted to talk about national security, uh, but not quite in these circumstances. And so from a political, tactical perspective, what Labor's doing here is trying to undercut the coalition's tough on national security message. And um, Penny Wong in her press conference today went out of her way to draw what she calls the failure in the Pacific together with the other accusations, the other narrative Labor has around Scott Morrison never taking responsibility, failing to act soon enough. And so Penny Wong actually mentioned Morrison's failure to secure enough rapid antigen tests and vaccines early enough. So she's sort of drawing a bigger picture about Morrison dropping the ball. Um, Coalition, again, the economy has been where they wanted to take this campaign with a with a side of national security. But the sort of embarrassment of this deal for Morrison has, has derailed that plan. Today, he kept trying to bring it back to the economy, whereas he continues to be dogged by his response to Solomon Island's security deal. It's, it's sort of derailed a bit of his campaign message on the economy uh, and it's undercut the tough on national security line. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. I'll let you go. You're welcome, Jane. See you later. That's your campaign catch-up for today. Tomorrow on Full Story, political reporter Josh Butler heads to the marginal Sydney seat of Wentworth to find out what voters are thinking there. But I don't want the Liberal Party to get in again. I feel they need to be kicked out. I've always voted Liberal, but they need to be kicked out and there needs to be some new blood. Did did you vote for Liberal in the last election? Yes, I did. I've always voted Liberal. So what, what changed your mind? I don't like Scott Morrison. This episode was produced by Alison Chan and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.